Well, as many of us would remember going back a few years, Kodak and the photo dispensary used to be a thriving category in our pharmacies. But in the threat of digital disruption, Kodak chose to not to move with the times and simply the Kodak moment has been transformed forever from a remarkable moment to one of irrelevance. And this week, we have the global futurist and author, Anders Sorman Nilsson, who will take us on a journey of digital disruption and what we can do to avoid losing relevance and how not everything that could be digitized should be. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 63. Well, I'm back in Melbourne this week and coming to you live from Northcote in Victoria, where I've just had the pleasure of catching up with one of the show's biggest fans, Bishoy, for a discovery session today. Big show today. We'll have some time to check in with you, see how your week's going. I'll give you my coverage from CBIT 2015, which of course is where I broadcast from last week. And we chat with the global futurist and author, Anders Orman Nilsson, who'll take us on a journey of digital disruption and what we can do to avoid losing relevance and that not everything that should be digitized will be. And that's really the key. So there's also a great video that I want you to have a look out for, and that's available in the show notes at robertstar.com forward slash episode 63, which featured in Anders' presentation at APP. Absolutely hilarious, and nothing nails digital disruption better than this video and brings it right home to roost. I know you're going to love it. And we're also going to finish off with a motivational quote from a past episode of The Transformation Show. So how's your week been? There's been a lot this week around the federal budget and there's no better place to check out all the coverage from that than at Pharmacy News Today. So if you go to pharmacynews.com.au, you will also notice that there's a brand new business article by me there as well and uh, all the coverage and I'll put a link in the show notes there and there's a whole wide range of implications in pharmacy as well. I've just completed issue two of Transformation Magazine, which will be out to you on June 9th. So if you'd like to be amongst the first to get hold of that, head across to transformationmagazine.com.au and much akin to this episode where we're talking about digital disruption, we talk more about how the jewel in the pharmacist crowd is actually our bricks and mortar stores. And as Anders tells us in our interview today, it really is one of our best marketing tools in how we deliver a remarkable experience in store. But more on that very, very soon. Recorded some fantastic interviews coming up. We've had a lot of requests for social media. So social media you shall have. We've got Adam Houlihan coming to you next week who's going to give you literally his social media secret source, which of course he wrote a book about. And we've also got another fantastic interview coming your way around Facebook. And I know that you're really going to enjoy that. 
and also dispensary efficiency and automation. So you may be thinking, well, we've covered all of the robotics last year. And yes, of course we have, but that's not the only area of your dispensary where you can pick up some great one percenters. And these things around your systems and potentially just as a little preview around how you can automate and make your DD entries so much more efficient, you'll never know how you did it any differently. I know you're going to love that. But I guess the big feature of this week for me has been our discovery sessions. I talk about the Pharmacy Freedom Index a lot on this show in terms of how you can access it and how in seven to 10 minutes you'll get all your biggest opportunities laid out for you in nine critical areas. But to really dig deep and map that out so that you get a 12-month blueprint of what you can do in your pharmacy in the next 12 months. And of course, you don't wanna do everything. We talk a lot about Three Stooges syndrome when we're trying to get things done in our business. If we try and do it all in one go, we'll just get stuck. So these sessions let you get very, very clear as to what's going to give you the biggest financial impacts, the biggest amount of productivity for not only you and your business and your team more specifically, but also what you can do to grow your business in the next 12 months. And that's really, it can be done at a time that suits you. And the sessions we've done this week, the one I've just done with Bishoy was before opening his store. And I've got another one booked in this evening for after hours and also one coming up in a couple of days via Skype. So really, it's at a time that choose it's really convenient for you and that you would choose to be able to dig deep and really work out what you want to do on the next 12 months. But also, it allows you to find out if you qualify for the transformation program, which I probably haven't spoken enough about on the show. And I'm not going to spend a whole war and peace chapter on it, but just to give you a flavor, it gives you the opportunity to work with me and my team directly over the next 12 months, which will feature things like full project management of the entire project and implementation, concierge level support, and done for you systems so that you don't have to get involved and things just happen straight away for you, plus much more. So if you'd like to know more, and of course, if you've done the Pharmacy Freedom Index, book in for that discovery session and you'd be amazed at what you can find out and what insights you can use in your business in the next 12 months. So last week, of course, I was up at CBIT with my dad, Joe, and I mentioned last week he is a pharmacist. Of course, I'm second generation. I wouldn't be second generation if it wasn't for him. And we had the pleasure of uh, circling the uh, expo and the exhibition, and I even had the pleasure of meeting up for a quick coffee with Stephen from PSA. So Stephen, if you're uh, listening today, g'day, and uh, thanks for catching up last week as well. It was great to hear your insights of what you get out of coming to CBIT each year. But I wanted to share with you my top five discoveries and key learnings because there's a good reason why I go there every year and really that highlights it in the first key learning which is to look outside of the pharmacy industry. There's a great example in this week's episode of how Apple did that successfully when designing their retail experience and even for products that were built for an initial purpose found a more relevant application. We only have to look at these billion dollar companies like Instagram which originally was a four square knockoff 
And for those who are thinking, what's Foursquare? It's like a location-based check-in. So whenever you go and eat somewhere or perhaps where you might go and stay somewhere, you've got the opportunity to become the, the mayor of that particular property by checking in there as frequently as possible. So it's a, I guess it's a way of uh, socially uh, getting a crowd together and sharing an experience in a different... And, Mostly it's for hospitality, but certainly I have seen pharmacies who do very well on Foursquare, but we didn't really want to talk about Foursquare, did we? Um, But ultimately, Instagram turned that knockoff into a multi-billion dollar photo sharing app, which was sold to Facebook not too long ago. And of course, closer to home, we've even got a drug like Viagra. Now, you might say, well, drugs and technology, not really the same thing, but I do think that chemicals and their structures and how they interact with our body is akin to technology as well. And of course, we know with sildenafil, it was originally designed as a very underwhelming blood pressure product and angina medicine, which found a surprising new purpose. And of course, we know the rest is history. So the lesson here is that innovation hides in the most peculiar and unexpected places, but we're blind unless we open ourselves up to new ideas, industries, and environments. One of the um, stalls that I enjoyed visiting was one called My Film Bag, and I'll put all these links in the show notes if you want to check them out, which is a private e-health service for patients. For those who want to keep their x-rays stored in the cloud and transported anywhere they like without regard relying too heavily, a little bit tongue-tied there, on uh, the x-ray and pathology and radiology providers to actually provide that to their doctors. So they've got full control over that and can take that wherever they are. Another great stand I visited was uh, LawPath, um, which is a legal subscription service, all online, of course, uh, which can customise any legal document of hundreds of different templates for you and your business uh, for a monthly low price of around $19 a month. So when you consider the time that it takes for us to go to lawyers, to give them the instructions of what we need for our businesses to generate personalised documents, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And here, by plugging in our details, we can access it for a very low fee. So it's really quite revolutionary, and I'm sure it's going to disrupt the legal industry a lot, uh, but certainly it's far more convenient for a very time-poor business owner, which I know we all are. Number four, and these ones aren't probably related to health, but they were just nonetheless very interesting and something that I think we can all relate to. Um, This next one's a pre-order, so you can't go and grab it just yet, but I'll put a link in the show notes for you to have a look. And it's called Strone. It's a device that uh, keeps you connected to your phone no matter which device you're on or where you are. So you don't actually have to carry your phone with a SIM card anywhere in the world with you. All you need is a Strone app, and it can redirect calls to you wherever you are. So even if you lost, you know, you can be overseas, you could lose your phone, but you're not actually carrying a phone. You might just have an internet-connected smartphone, which, of course, you could get a prepaid SIM over there for your internet connectivity, and you can receive calls because your phone would literally just be at home in one of these strone boxes and redirecting and streaming it anywhere you like. So it's really quite revolutionary in that sense in that um, you really can become device agnostic, which basically means that you can decide, well, if you want to use your dispense computer and take calls on there, you can. You could go to an internet cafe and take calls on there. And of course, anyone else's smartphone as well. So really, really quite um, 
I guess, provides a lot of freedom. So it'll be interesting when that comes out. I think one of the most interesting things, and certainly my favourite, was um, the Tesla stand. And uh, I get very fascinated and love playing and looking at all the customizations of their premium electric motor cars, which really are setting a new standard and an evolution in automobile engineering, um, both now in the future. And it's fantastic to see, I guess, how that's developed and how electric cars can... Uh, be you know more efficient and uh, I guess from a performance level even better than some of our uh, you know gasoline enabled cars and LPG and all of the other types of fuels that we've tried to use over the years but I think the most fascinating thing was, and they didn't have it on display there, which was a real shame. It would have been great. Uh, but I was able to talk to someone from Tesla about it. There was the Tesla Powerwall, which for some of you may already have read any of the news media articles online about the Powerwall battery. And this is really going to be a game changer for energy all and around the world. We've all got probably aware of solar panels that we can put on our buildings and our houses to, I guess, capture the energy from the sun. But it feeds back into the grid and of course we can get a credit from our power company for that but what this enables you to do is actually store it in your house or your business um, which is something that's coming as well so this is something we may end up wanting to have in our pharmacies assuming that we've got standalone buildings that we can put solar panels on and you can actually store the power in there as well and it can function as a subsidiary to your power source or even a backup power source as well which is really interesting if you've ever worked in a pharmacy that's been part of a blackout I know that I have um, it's something that brings everything to a halt so if we had something like a powerwall battery to fuel us and keep us going it's certainly going to be a ma massive advantage for us in the future particularly if you're in an area which is well known for power surges which is where I've worked for a long time um, really, really important. So that's going to come and be delivered in 2000, late 2015. But I've been reading up on this and there's been such demand for it, it may only be available in mid-2016. So really fascinating to follow that. Uh, next week, I'm going to be at the Retail Tech and Customer Tech Conference here in Melbourne, um, which will be on, on Wednesday and Thursday. So I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for anything that you may want me to visit on your behalf. But we're going to be hearing from brands such as Tesco, Zappos, Nordstrom, and also local brands like Booper, Woolworths, and Australia Post. And the real theme is customer centricity, which of course can be patient centricity. And of course, it may generate some fantastic learnings that can be transported into our pharmacies. There's also some presenters, which funnily enough, include former Transformation Show guests, Adam Posner in episode 33, and Stephen Borg in episode 58. So I was sure to be catching up with them as well. So I'll share with you my key learnings from both conferences. And like CBIT, I'll be exploring the expo. So I'll put the link in the show notes. Have a look at the expo. If there's anything that you want me to have a look at on your behalf, it was fantastic to get a bit of guidance as to things that you wanted to see at CBIT. I'd love to do that for you again as well. There's never been a better time to be tuning into the Transformation Show. And if you enjoy tuning in each week, I'd be most appreciative if you could share a link to the show at transformationshow.com.au with a colleague who you know who would enjoy it as much as you do. We've got Anders coming up. It's going to be a fantastic interview for you to get your head around. It really taught me a lot of a lot of things, particularly about the origins of Apple and the length that they went to to designing that experience. I know you're going to love it. 
Our interview today is with Anders Sorman Nilsson. He's a futurist and innovation strategist and the author of Digilog, How to Win the Digital Minds and the Analog Hearts of Tomorrow's Customers. He's the founder of the research and design think tank, Think, and he's well known for change doesn't care if you like it or not, it doesn't need your permission. Anders Orman Nilsson, welcome to the Transformation Show. Great to be uh, with you, Rob, and uh, nice to uh, see you here in the digital world, or at least hear you in the digital world again. Oh, look, absolutely. And look, a lot, of, a lot of our conversations on this show are very much virtual cups of coffee. We could just be sitting around the corner having a good chat about uh, where pharmacy is right now, but, you know, much along akin to your presentation that a lot of my colleagues have, and we've been talking about that since APP, you know, around the digital. But obviously, you know, we're very much in an analogue pharmacy world right now, facing real analogue problems. But obviously, you know, digital is disrupting so many industries at the moment that uh, pharmacy must be one that can take advantage as well yeah absolutely i mean uh you know you and i chatted uh since the conference via a variety of digital media outlets and channels including twitter about some of the the challenges and uh um while we've sort of had a bit of a chat about both at the app conference and beyond about the fact that digital disruption is impacting your industry it's uh, most likely also one of the the saviors of of the industries as increasingly consumer behavior is moving into the the digital world with the likes of patientslikeme.com or online pharmacies around the world providing services to uh, those people that want easy prescriptions or refills happening via their smart interfaces, their mobile phones, or from the comfort of their own home. So I think the role of the pharmacist is really going to be changing into the future. Um, but that digital disruption, of course, also enables you guys to amplify your own voices and uh, to play on a, on a new digital playing field as well. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And all our, all our audience love to know the background of a lot of our guests as well. And uh, I guess, how did you pick, you know, Futurist? I know, <laughs> I know that Futurist wouldn't have been, a, has never been a university course or a particular linear structure that we we work towards growing up. But I guess, how did you, I guess, become a uh, global futurist? And, uh, you know, at what point in time did you decide that, uh, you know, innovation was uh, the way to go? Well, I should I should just add there actually that it is becoming more and more of an established field with both uh, the universities in Turku Orbo in Finland as well as uh, Houston in uh, in um, in Texas now have courses and masters courses in uh, in uh, strategic futures. Um, so it is an interesting space and becoming a more recognised space as well. Um, I started up my own company, Think, ten years ago. And that was after uh, completing a couple of degrees in uh, in law at the Australian National University, and uh, as well as uh, as a specialisation in international relations. I went into uh, <clears throat> into a big major Australian law firm in three 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 Collins Street in Melbourne. Uh, and after a three week stint there, I kind of realised that that law and banking and finance law really wasn't for me. But I still had some, uh, some student debts to pay. Uh, despite having a scholarship to study law, uh, I managed to, to spend a little bit of money and, uh, and a little bit of Swedish student funds uh, that support life and, and travel while we're, while we're students, as you know. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, so I had to sort of think about, you know, what do I want to do next? And um, so I spent some time uh, working in a, in a marketing agency in, uh, in Sydney. Uh, and my role there was both as account manager, but also increasingly to do some research and presentations around, uh, around Generation Y and how to connect with uh, a new demographic. And that sort of evolved since, since then. Um, I pretty quickly noticed that I both had an interest in, in demographic trends, but also in technology trends and how they're fundamentally transforming the way we transact and communicate. And, uh, and as a result, I set up Think, and because uh, I could see that, hey, together with the marketing knowledge that I had and uh, together with uh, some of my vocal and research skills, there was, there was a future for a company that um, fundamentally looked at trends, the disruption and, and changing consumer behaviors as well as demographic human trends to see how that might actually shape the future, something that I was very, very interested in. Um, I've also grown up in a family that's uh, highly technophobic. And so I think my uh, kind of uh, revolt, my teenage revolt goes on beyond my teenage years into adult life by being, uh, by being a kind of a... Um, well, a neophile liking everything new and everything that's technological and shiny and uh, can make us more productive. Uh, and of course, it's also probably a little bit of a, a revolt against my old profession of the law, which is highly backward looking, looking at precedent and sort of historical cases to, to influence how we make decisions about present day behaviors and, and, and challenges. So I think that's probably both a little bit of a a CV resume for you, as well as a uh, as a quick sort of background to some of my motives and uh, and uh, motivations behind yeah. my profession. Yeah, and I, look, I think I think being a neophile is probably akin to just being a Gen Y as I am as as well. And uh, you know, it, it obviously does pave the way for you know new innovations, new ways of doing things. And I guess you know a a slight disrespect for what might be the status quo, and that you know lots of things are being disrupted by digital, as 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 we both know. And uh, you know, the question I do have for you, and a lot of our listeners um, would also, um, if if they could ask the question, is that you know in pharmacies even through the 1980s I'm second generation and in my father's pharmacies he always had a Kodak dispensary in the back of them and uh, were dispensing uh, photo photo processing probably as much as we're dispensing prescriptions at some stages as well and uh, we all know uh, that Kodak had their moment and I guess that the Kodak moment has changed in its shape and that uh, it always used to represent uh, something remarkable and magical and uh, now it represents um, you know not un- not understanding I guess uh, you know, when you're caught up in, in change that you don't quite understand and you don't know how quite to adapt. So I guess under that, in that frame, Anders, you know, is pharmacy next for this type of digital disruption? Well, it is, it is one of the spaces that is absolutely ripe for digital disruption. I think also digital disruption has already been happening in pharmacy. Uh, whether people in the industry like it or not, uh, fundamentally, dis- despite the despite the fact that it, you know it has proud sort of me- medical roots, of course, or roots in medicine and the apothecary, it's essentially still a retail outlet, and retail is by no means immune from uh, from um, from digital disruption. In fact. Deloitte Digital uh, released a report a couple of years back called the Short Fuse Big Bang Theory of uh, Digital Disruption. 
a very, very simple, and just to visualize it for your listeners here today, a simple X and Y matrix where on the X axis you have the uh, length of the fuse until digital disruption hits your industry. And on the Y axis from the bottom to the top, you have uh, the size of the impact, either rather low or rather massive. And of course, retail trade sits up in that left-hand corner, which is a short fuse, but big bang. Um, as you know from my own history as well, having grown up in, in retail and in a different space, uh, retail trade is one that's already been experiencing massive amounts of digital disruption and, uh, and the impact is huge. Uh, now, of course, we can say that because of regulation in, in the, in the pharmacy space, maybe it's been a little bit slower than, say, in menswear or in uh, record stores, uh, but it is absolutely something that's going to be impacting uh, you guys moving forward in an even bigger way. Um, but as we alluded to before as well, you know, already for many years now, patients have been hang hanging out on digital platforms like patientslikeme.com. You know, some are choosing to get their, uh, their prescriptions or their alternative medicines from online pharmacies in Vanuatu, for example. And people are increasingly reading up and hanging out with Dr. Google online instead of, instead of going and seeing their general practitioner. So already our consumer behavior is becoming digitized. Yeah, yeah, and and we often talk about on this show, and I'm glad you mentioned the roots of pharmacy and the apothecaries and so forth. And we always even look at the U.S. drug stores and the origins of those, and that you know three of the founding um, partners of Seven Up, Pepsi, and Coca Cola were all pharmacists, and it all came from having that soda fountain in the pharmacy, uh, which was you know probably the 1900s version of social media, in that it attracted the community. People would talk about what's going on, what's happening in all sorts of relationships and you know I've always mo thought about that and that you know in our modern society that's where social media is right now but you know traditionally healthcare professionals and probably more so pharmacists than others as we're starting to see the emergence of some collaborative medical practitioners and other allied health practitioners who are embracing social and digital better than probably what we are at the moment is that it is a space where lots of communication is happening right now and you know we need to be part of that life larger conversation yeah yeah absolutely i mean i always say that it's more uh more suspicious if you cannot be found online than uh than if you have some content available online i mean there are people that say okay well can we control the conversation online and you know what are people going to say about us or if we sign up to some of these review sites, for example, online, or if people uh, opt in to check out where our pharmacy is at on Google Google Maps, for example, does that mean that all of a sudden you know people can leave bad reviews? And how can we control that? Well, the reality is you cannot control the conversation, but you can help curate it by contributing really good digital content uh, in uh, in that space, which is obviously where your your customers and patients are increasingly hanging out yeah and 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 i guess as, as as we know you know the big growth on facebook is in that you know 55 65 70 year old demographic and the majority of chronic disease patients sit in that bracket that we see in our pharmacies every day um so it's not a case that that you know, our, our customers aren't going to that space because they're seeing, seeing a rise in their ability to be connected with their families, their grandchildren through photos and conversations that had to sometimes come to them on a scheduled 
a weekly basis and now they can check in with them on a more frequent basis. So I don't think it's a case that our patients don't want to be there. It just might be, you know, the old way of thinking. Yeah, of course. And I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that I think the, the, that in, in many ways, social media is sort of a, a misnomer uh, that's probably made some people take it less seriously because if it had been called commercial media, for example, maybe more business owners would have been, uh, would have been prone to actually using it. Uh, now it's taken a while for social media to almost become in, in what I would think of as, as traditional media. I don't think of these channels as new anymore. And in fact, something like Facebook, yes, which sprung up as a, as a sort of a, you know, a dating site for university students in many ways or a sort of popularity contest. Well, now Facebook is increasingly a media company. It's increasingly in search. And, uh, you know, my parents just in the last few years have gotten to know Google. They're technophobes, yes, but increasingly people of my parents' age are now looking to advice and for input on, on Facebook as Facebook is increasingly moving into search and is really becoming a sort of all-encompassing, omnipresent digital media company. Yeah. Yeah, and and even in recent weeks, we had um, a guest just only a few weeks ago uh, from the Future Health Summit here in Melbourne, um, Sarah Kosharsky, who's a one of the leaders of a growing uh, group of patients now known as e patients, uh, which represents the fact that they are highly engaged patients who de- who delve into electronic means to educate themselves, and uh, you know there's a huge growth of that coming out of um, particularly uh, Stanford University, where they've got a conference that includes all of the um, um, patients in there, all of the healthcare developments and major research developments as well. And there's a whole culture now of online knowledge sharing and collaboration as looking as that's the future of healthcare and that patients actually play as, as much a critical role engaged in their, in being having responsibility for their own healthcare journey as the healthcare professional, which is a huge paradigm shift. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see with the likes of the digitized self or the quantified self movement or people being quite happy to to be on the leading edge and having their, you know, their genetic code mapped, even though in a sort of light version uh, via the likes of um, uh, of 23andMe, which has run into difficulties with the FDA, I should add, and I'm by no means endorsing it here on, on the show, uh, but it is showing a, a kind of a move towards wanting to know that, you know, every step you take, every breath you make, uh, somebody uh, will be watching you and be measuring and monitoring your progress and your sort of proactivity in managing a, a healthy lifestyle at one end of the spectrum so that you can make smarter decisions about your health. I mean, Peter Drucker said that what can be measured can be managed. And for the first time, we have visual data to, to map you know, every run, every, uh, every cycling tour that we do, every triathlon training that we might do or every breakfast that we eat to monitor the sort of calorie intake. But equally, at the other end of the spectrum, if someone's suffering from, from chronic diseases or from, say, diabetes, they can equally monitor at mealtime exactly what their blood sugar levels are because of smart plugins into the into their iPhones or their Android devices. Again, that helps them with their adherence to their to their drug or their health regime. And at the very extreme end, of course, people are 
interested in their predictive health analytics through the likes of 23andMe, where they send saliva samples to Silicon Valley to get a reading on what some of their future complications might be. Yeah. Um, you may not agree with all of these developments, right? But they are happening. And as I always say, you know, change doesn't care whether you like it or not. It's going to happen without your permission. And it's very, very difficult to change consumer behavior back to what it used to be in the good old days of nostalgia. Mm. And we're even seeing in Melbourne, uh, we had a recent uh, interview with uh, Alan Sheffield, the uh, managing director of a company here in Melbourne called Genes FX, and they specialise in pharmacogenomics. So there is a mapping of the human genome and how it affects the metabolism of certain medicines and what you're likely to metabolise faster or slower based on your makeup. And I guess ultimately, you know, it's quite not quite to the level of, I guess, how the disease state may play out and that you're able to, I guess, predictively model, you know, how, how advanced you may be in a matter of months and what steps you may need to take earlier than perhaps a different patient but it's there and uh, you know that test has been available for three years um, and ultimately there's probably a low adoption right now but you know nonetheless it has that ability to personalize the uh, the patient's outcome at the end of the day yeah exactly and i think that sort of personalized piece actually sort of in many ways comes back to the uh to the uh, kind of good old roots of the apothecary or even compound pharmacy, uh, despite that that might be a controversial term for some these days, you know, it does go back to that personalization. And uh, and that's increasingly something that I think the patient is expecting with, with you know, drug complications and... Um, and drug cocktails being a, a great killer in both in the United States but also in Australia and around the world because, you know, care hasn't been personalized enough for the patient. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I guess, you know, one of the bi biggest uh, developments that I saw at this Future Health Summit only a couple of weeks ago was a Samsung device called the SimBand, uh, which had multiple... Uh, clinical monitoring sensors and it could have you know, up to 20 different versions from blood gases to ECG to obviously the typical baseline ones of respiration rate, blood pressure, heart rate. And, you know, it just changes the whole paradigm of actually having the ability to have active healthcare management versus passive so that you're actually, the clinicians are actually seeing things in real time rather than, for example, in diabetes, we always look at one particular measurement called the HbA1c, which tells you how well a person's blood sugar's been controlled for three months prior. You know, now that data is real time, which, you know, it's going to change a lot of things. Yeah, I think that real time visualization of data just means that, you know, as, as individuals, as patients, as people, uh, the sort of technical term, uh, that we're able to make decisions and modifications in behavior in, in real time. And I think that's, that's super important. Um, you know, whether it's an alert via your, your smartwatch that, you know, you haven't moved for 20 minutes and that because according to some, you know, sitting is the new smoking, yeah. uh, you know, it might be time to go and uh, go for a walk, for example, or when you're thinking about, you know, or being spontaneously influenced in the shopping aisle, by you know the the Mars and Snickers bar on the way to the checkout, that hey maybe because of your geolocation you get a reminder from your blood sugar level app for example that hey you know avoid this aisle this will really mess with your <laughs> with your blood sugar level you know through these kind of 
nudge effects, we're able to make different decisions. And I think that's key to the, to the future of our health as a, as a species, but of course, also very much on an individual basis. Yeah. And, 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 and pharmacy is unique in the healthcare space because it is also a retail business and therefore, you know, we are still subjected to the same opportunities and threats that normal retail businesses would otherwise have. And, you know, we've often, you know, looked at retailers like Apple who have taken something that was incredibly disinteresting as computers and turned it into something that's got the highest uh, profitability per square metre in the world. Um, and, you know, and I guess this is the, the, the topic we wanted to... I guess really isolate based on your expertise, Anders. But you know they do have a great way of utilising both digital and analog to you know create that sweet spot for themselves, don't they? Yeah, and of course the the other piece about the uh, the Apple retail spaces, and I think that it was such a beautiful sort of counterintuitive move back in two thousand and one when they opened up their first retail store in uh, in San Francisco, um, was the fact that they didn't study any other uh, computer companies or um, um, consumer electronics companies. In fact, what they looked to when they started their their retail presence was the Ritz Carlton in uh, in New York, because several of the leaders of of Apple had been there uh, for uh, for a, um, a leadership conference earlier on, and when they were asked by Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. Uh, where have you had the best um, customer experience ever in your life? A number of them said the Ritz-Carlton in, uh, in New York. And so, of course, the, the whole retail model is uh, very, very Apple-esque in the fact that it's not necessarily an innovation. They've just totally modeled a great customer experience journey uh, from a totally different industry. And I think we need to do that more often. I mean, this is the reason why there's now a concierge at the door greeting you at every Apple store because that's what happens at the Ritz-Carlton in, uh, in New York. You know, the, the reason that the staff further into the shop have knowledge about you is that the concierge passes down little digital notes about your arrival so that by the time you kind of re- reach the check-in desk at the... Uh, at the uh, Genius Bar, for example, uh, they already know who you are, what your appointment's about, and you get to sit down for some technological coaching uh, with that Genius Bartender, just like you would maybe share uh, your life story or your life's issues with a bartender at the Ritz-Carlton over a glass of whiskey. Um, And so I think the important lesson here is that we need to look outside of our own industries to ensure that we create a, a retail presence that's that's really that's really world class. Because we need to be increasingly respectful of and mindful of the fact that the consumer has a choice to not hang out with us in analog reality or in the physical world whatsoever. And when they do step into our shops or our pharmacies, we really need to be to be grateful to them and to make sure that they start having a great experience per square meter, not just that we focus on the sort of metric of high sales per square meter, um, but because of the experience, most likely, you'll see your profitability going up as well. But the experience in store uh, needs to really transition and be world class for the uh, the patient or the customer. 
Yeah, yeah, and and I guess you know you touched on the perfect thing there in that in reality right now in 2015 you could very easily exist through this world without ever talking to another human. You could order your food, your takeaway, and everything without even touching another physical person if you want to. And I guess we're seeing outside of our industry this huge growth in experiential retailers and that people are prepared to pay more for a experience that's remarkable and you know ultimately you. Know, allows them to feel something so is there something i guess there's something in it in that something that's logical in a physical in a digital space may not be the be all and end all for our customers because we quite often look at price being the biggest problem i guess in pharmacy right now because we've got discounters that are taking large market share away from the traditional pharmacies but in reality it may be more than that than what they're looking for yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing here is that there are certain transactions and certain uh, certain pieces of the consumer journey where maybe we as uh, we as the retailers, the pharmacists, the the business strategists, we always kind of assume that human is better, but in fact, our consumers or customers who are also human, they don't always think that human is better. And we can all all think of a of a horrific sort of customer customer journey or a customer experience uh, with a brand that we might have engaged with. I mean, you just need to think about your last holiday or your last check in at an airport or you know your last journey with uh, Melbourne you know public transport, for example, to kind of go was that experience one that was beautifully frictionless was it seamless you know did all the transitions work or when you walked into your retail bank branch last time to solve a problem that they couldn't help you with via phone banking or via the mobile app which we really you prefer and then you walk into a retail branch and the retail uh, branch manager has no idea that you've spent all this time via their uh, mobile app and with their call center, and again, you have to start from scratch. I mean, these these experiences are all sort of examples that, in some regards, human isn't better. And I think there's a there's a wonderful quote from uh, from uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame, who I who I met at uh, the TED Global conference back in 2009. Very interesting character, and he says uh, that. You know, if someone has to pick up the phone and call Amazon, something in their process has broken down. And Amazon keeps taking out global awards for the best customer service, yet we never really see a human when we engage with Amazon as a retailer, only as a, as a very final step if everything else kind of failed. And in that instance, you know, people's expectations of what is good customer service have shifted. Good customer service is not necessarily a friendly smile from Amazon. It's just making sure that the product that you ordered turned up on time, uh, that you have transparency to see that, okay, I've ordered something for Melbourne from Sydney and it's currently in Albury, Wodonga on its way and it's going to be arriving at 3.59 this afternoon on the next flight on your doorstep, you know, delivered by maybe a drone. <laughs> that, kind of, uh, that kind of supply chain transparency is increasingly what people want. They don't necessarily care if it's delivered with a human smile or not in some transactions, right? There are others which are a lot, lot more high touch 
which maybe we should never digitize. But this is the constant kind of questioning and where you need to make your own deliberate choices as a pharmacist and as a retailer. What should we digitize? Uh, what should we not digitize? Uh, and where do we kind of want to specialize in terms of our customer touch points? Yeah, and I guess, you know, when we cast our eye to the future in terms of, you know, where a pharmacist may be in 20, 30 years time and, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we could probably acknowledge that, you know, what could be automated will be automated. I guess what could be digitised will be. Um, and ultimately, we look at what, where a pharmacist can play its biggest role. And, you know, often we look back to, you know, the, the roots of pharmacy and where that, where that came up and why people would come in. And it was all about the relationship which is about, you know, a pharmacist understanding the personal characters of a particular person, their family, the interrelationship of all of the family, uh, to really determine, I guess, what was the right medical therapy and what was the healthcare particular prescription they would need to assist them in helping them get fulfilled and you know it comes it comes down to so many different factors our clinical knowledge the ability for the patient to give us information i guess data as we potentially could be getting from their wearable devices moving forward so in what in one way we've looked at thinking well a role for a pharmacist is really going to be about managing that and translating that knowledge into wisdom um, and that might be where a pharmacist sits but you know ultimately there's a lot that's got to change before we get to that point as our remuneration right now is purely transactional yeah yeah absolutely i mean uh we, we see that a little bit as well in 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 certain professionals where there's sort of a high level of fiduciary duty uh, we've seen for example government regulations changing the financial advisory space from one that used to be driven by the financial advisors uh relying on uh transactions and uh, selling products essentially to their to their clients to now that moving into an advisory space where we pay for the service which is the advice but uh, we're increasingly expecting our uh, our advisors to be fully independent uh, and for even for many of them to repay us any commissions that they might still get paid uh, by the financial houses. I mean, that's an interesting remuneration model that's certainly caused a lot of uh, troubles for a lot of financial advisors as they're trying to kind of adjust to the new reality post FOFA regulation changes. Um, so that's one piece. I think uh, despite the fact that a lot of your remuneration is based on, on, on the transaction, uh, it never hurts to really take a position in, in, in the market and in, in particularly in the, in the digital space of being, uh, you know, the, the sage, the, the thought leader, someone who is doing something differently, particularly as uh, this space is becoming more sort of generic and commoditized and as uh, pricing pressures through the discounters is obviously stepping up. Uh, you have to find a way to differentiate and add value to the transaction. Uh, and sometimes that's a friendly smile, but increasingly it might be that you start publishing content online and that you also start thinking of your retail space, not just as a, as a space where you have a point of sale, but that is really an experiential media outlet. I was recently, uh, in fact, just last week, I was in Belgium speaking at a conference uh, for Retail Detail, one of the largest retail conferences in the Benelux countries. And we had a lot of discussions about the fact that the physical retail outlet now is a form 
of media and that it is a huge differentiator potentially if it's designed in the right way. Uh, and I think this is increasingly the way pharmacists need to think about themselves. It doesn't mean that they should create a Disneyland in their in their uh, in their pharmacies, but it needs to. They need to rethink the way that all the experience uh, is designed for for the customer, and the fact that the customer can now get all the information digitally before they come into the store if they are uh, digital natives some of the some of the older generations may or may not feel comfortable with that mm. but they need to cater for both the 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 younger you know younger mums in their you know late 20s early 30s coming in uh, who are digitally native and according to uh, lady I shared stage with in uh, North Carolina a couple of years ago, uh, Randy Zuckerberg. Uh, yes, family members with uh, or the sister of uh, of Mark Zuckerberg oh, wow. and, the, yeah. and the former CMO of, of Facebook. She said that according to the statistics at the time, um, new mothers uh, are the most engaged demographic on Facebook. Why? Because they're up, uh, you know, with their kids at 2 a.m. in the morning and this is their way to kind of digitally engage maybe with their friends who they're not able to see as much. And, of course, they're also looking up information maybe about the next baby formula or looking up a particular medical condition online. So you've got that demographic that's already come in um, with armed with a lot of information digitally if they are visiting uh, your pharmacy, but you've also got the the people maybe suffering from chronic diseases who may may be of an older demographic or not as digitally in tune. And as a pharmacist, you need to really make sure that you're catering to both to win the customers' hearts and minds. And that's a that's a new challenge for for the for the pharmacies. Yeah, and and I guess you know the understanding that we've always looked at as pharmacists in our stores is you know the information that lives in our heads. You know, I think a pharmacist is the best example of a customer relationship management system because it's all in a one self-contained system. The only problem is it's very rarely plugged into the rest of the team to be able to deliver a seamless experience across you know seven days a week or in some cases even twenty-four hours. So it's something that's not quite scalable at the moment because we haven't really injected our best thinking into a I guess a digital environment at the same time we probably aren't utilizing all of the data that we have at our at our fingertips or perhaps not at our fingertips something that we're sitting on um, in and around our clinical systems our point of sale systems the transaction history and as we're starting to see in other retailers the interactivity uh, data that other retailers are getting their hands on through it might be wi-fi related analytics machines um, you know obviously the typical infrared traffic counters that can tell when people are at their peak and so forth to optimize the retail environment and it might be taking the best of all of those digital tools to try and build that better experience because sometimes customers might tell you one thing you know i guess in an analogy but at the same time i guess the 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 shopper data in terms of what they're buying where they're going where they're moving, what they're doing both online and offline um, will allow us to customize that type of experience. Yeah, exactly. And I always say that, you know, yes, if, if the, if the uh, pharmacist or the owner manager of the store knows the local clientele really well, that's, that's really nice. But that's also potentially a filing cabinet that no one else has access to. 
And, uh, and that's an issue because uh, both from a succession perspective, but also from an internal collaboration perspective and from a scalability perspective, you know, you do want access to knowing that, hey, you know, Steve, the, the owner, operator or the manager, you know, really does know his, you know, local clientele, but how does that get transferred to, you know, a new, <clears throat> new apprentice at the, at the store who's dealing with that same client? Well, maybe the only interface that they'll have available is, is a digital interface where, you know, pending certain privacy regulations, etc., cetera, uh, they have access to maybe the, the purchasing history of, of that particular patient uh, as they come in or maybe you have access to a little bit of family history or how they've engaged with you in the digital world before stepping in through the doors. Um, and, and that can increasingly kind of help Help bring back some of the old school local values of the of the pharmacy or the apothecary uh, from the good old years of nostalgia, but it's now supported by data scientific insights because that's the only way to to really transfer this knowledge between human beings. Yeah, and and I think the decision making is really where the key aspects are, and that you know a pharmacist has overcomplicated their role over journeys in becoming small business owners, taking on the role of a retailer as well as a clinical uh, health professional as well, and it often clouds their ability to spend that quality time with each patient. So we often look at things like robotics to be able to free up the logistical pathways and realistically remove what we call borrowed time, being that waiting time that you spend waiting for your prescription and realistically treating it as that privileged relationship of someone who comes to see you month in month out so you know it's it's there's so much opportunity um you know we just need to be broader broadening our horizons i think yeah yeah absolutely and i think uh looking outside your industry is one of the best starting points to kind of think about what that what that experience could look like in the future and also to define your sort of synthesized identity uh, in a world of, you know, digital niche players or in a world of, uh, uh, of discounters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess we've spoken about so much that could happen in the future, but, you know, not to put you on the spot as we quite often do on this show, but I'd love to know, Anders, that if, if time and resources were just simply thrown away as a barrier, you know, what would be the type of pharmacy you'd love to walk into today? Well, I, th I think the, the interesting thing there is uh, the presumption that I would want to walk into a pharmacy uh, physically. That, that's, the, that's the first you know, question mark. <laughs> but I guess I would think of my pharmacist as, uh, as a member of my kind of trusted board of advisors, uh, ideally, you know, as someone that is uh, an extension of uh, a trusted relationship with, with a GP who's, a, who's, you know, who I have a trusted relationship with. Uh, who can act both uh, in tune with in the future, you know, my predictive health analytics based on my wearable tech and my quantified self and my, you know, genetic code. And they can realize that, hey, you know, Anders is about to travel from Sweden to Australia for a certain period of time. Maybe these kind of prescriptions he needs to renew before his trip. Based upon that, you know, I have a quick conversation with Anders whether I want to refill some of those um, before my trip to check 
and send me a push notification that, hey, have you picked up your melatonin, which I know is not uh, regulated or is regulated in Australia, but doesn't yet exist on the Australian market. But say I was in the United States, <laughs> you know, say I was going to travel through several time zones. And of course, I'm not making any promises as to the efficacy here of uh, of melatonin yeah. but i do use it in my own capacity that it knew exactly what my kind of preferences were for for the kind of travel i i do and the kind of jet lag and time zone adjustments i need to make and also the fact that you know i just picked up a cold you know a week and a half before my travel from sweden to to australia that based upon that hey maybe some vitamins might be good maybe you need xyz for for the trip i mean that sort of predictive uh, trusted advisor relationship is one that I would admire and, and really treasure um, because we're all busy and some of us don't have time to think about all, all these aspects, right? Um, and uh, certainly myself, when it comes to uh, fill, filling or refilling supplies, be they for my Nespresso machine or be they for my contact lenses, you know, these are all, these are all roles that, you know, better organized pharmacies that accept digital processes could be helping me with uh, in the future. Yeah, no, look, and we're saying, I guess, you know, the things like the Dollar Shave Club being able to replenish your shaving blades every month on a weekly, on a, on a scheduled basis. And I guess the same thing goes for underwear as well. So if they, if these types of industries can, uh, I guess, predictively understand what we need, then, uh, there's no reason why we can't. We just need to understand our data a bit better, which, you know, may be the next logical step. So absolutely fantastic. Anders, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure and i look forward to following your journey as i know a lot of our listeners do as well and having you back in the not too distant future fantastic and i should just wrap this up by saying that you know so often we look backwards as you pointed out before but you know the future is where we're going to be spending the rest of our lives so we better start preparing for it now absolutely thanks anders appreciate it thanks rob bye well, not for the first time, we've been absolutely blown away by the best benefits of the past, the present, and most importantly, our future. And our future, as we acknowledge, is what we can control. As we always talk about, if you think what you've always thought, you'll do what you've always done, and you'll get what you've always got. And ultimately, we do have the biggest power in our hands to be able to revolutionize our own pharmacies moving forward. Such a great chat with Anders because he's got such a great insight into so many different industries and businesses that it gives us a great guide as to what we can expect moving forward, but what we can actually utilize outside of our industry and bring into our pharmacies. So hard to get three key learnings, but as per usual, we've got three key learnings. And number one is that changing times... Uh, upon us. We know that. And, and ultimately, you'll probably think, well, that's a pretty dumb key learning because we know that. But realistically, who would have thought that the Kodak moment would take a transformation of itself in that it used to represent something magical and remarkable in our lives, but now represents a company, a point in history where a huge influencer in Kodak simply acknowledged, didn't acknowledge the fact that there was disruption around them and they wouldn't change for it. They didn't adapt, they didn't adopt the digital technology, they were disrupted 
and now they are irrelevant. So we don't want pharmacy to have our own Kodak moment. We've got lots of indicators around us right now that we are likely to be digitally disrupted. We've got social media right now, which we always resist an adoption to. But realistically, as we talk about a lot on this show, social media has been part of our culture all the way back to our origin. We had soda fountains, which represented the social media of the 1900s. And we've always been that community hub of conversation in that we're about where the best, most accessible healthcare professionals that people can access, and we've got the knowledge to help them navigate the primary healthcare system around them. So why wouldn't we want to join that conversation? As we've spoken about previously, we're not providing advice through that platform, but it's a form of engagement. It's letting people know that we're there for them if they want to talk to us through a platform that they're spending more time on, not just on their computers, but in smartphone devices, which are in a rapid rate. And as we spoke about, the 55 to 60-year-old demographic, even greater, is the biggest growth area. So it's not that our core customers, the chronic disease stuffers, aren't on there, as we discussed with Sarah Kosharsky only a few weeks ago. And digital media is our storefronts right now. You know, the retail environment, as Anders were talking about, is starting to be seen as a form of media. And therefore, it's an experience. People have to come to our businesses and feel something. It's not a case of just coming for a transaction because they can do that at home. They ne- we need to be offering them something and we need to be modeling best practice. A fantastic example and a really strong key learning that I took out of it was where Apple got their ideas of creating that remarkable experience that we have time and time again when we go visit them. They didn't look at all the other computer outlets and how they were selling computers. They went to the Ritz-Carlton in New York, which I'd love to visit one day to experience that for myself. But ultimately, they modeled that experience, not the best practice in in computer sales, to be able to provide that remarkable experience. And Anders walked us right the way through from concierge to genius bar how that was. It was absolutely brilliant. And the number two, and I know that we're going to be going a long while, but there was so much gold literally dripping out of this interview. And really, that data becomes our most important asset. I'll repeat that. Data becomes our most important asset on our balance sheet because it's the thing that's going to be able to leverage us into the 21st century if we haven't already got our heads out of the sand and go there. And it's in partnership with our patients. It's not there for us to pull the wool over our patients' heads to say, hey, we know you better than you do, so we're going to dictate terms. It's about using that information in partnership, whether that be their use of wearable technology that we're able to guide them and advise them based on what they're doing on an everyday basis, structured data that's coming from our point of sale, our dispense, whether it's movement in the pharmacy through traffic counters. We've got a great interview coming up in a few weeks about how how Wi-Fi can be utilized to really map and track what are the best movements in your pharmacy and how you can customize your retail ranges based on what your customers actually want. Social media, getting that information and responding to it. And of course, things like genetics. We spoke about 23andMe. We've spoken on the show to Alan Sheffield from GenesFX. And ultimately, you know, there is this information that allows us to personalize the future of pharmacy. And that brings us to number three, is that we, we will be always... Whatever can be digitized will be digitized. And what can be automated will always be automated. That is the future. But we will always need to value 
add to our patients through that personal relationship. And that's about our ability to be efficient at putting together knowledge and data to translate that into wisdom. As we learned in key learning number two, that's where data is most valuable to you because that's going to give you the tools to impart wisdom time and time again and providing a remarkable experience, an intuitive experience, where your patients will be contacting you and you know exactly what was the last time they came in contact with your pharmacy, who they spoke to, what they did, perhaps what they've done in the intermediary, how they've responded to blood pressure medication, whether they've been moving, whether they've been unwell. It's such a changing relationship. It goes from passive to active, and we're there as a coach to our patients as well. And we're on their trusted board of advisors as Anders was talking about. That's where we that's where our role is in a one-to-one relationship and not a transactional one. And that's really going to give them what they want. And it's about giving them what they want in the right context. Sometimes they'll want that deep relationship, but sometimes, as Anders spoke about with Amazon, a great experience may not involve us at all, but we need to be adaptive to that as well, as he brought up when he spoke to Jeff Bezos about if the fact that they need a customer needed to pick up a phone and call Amazon, something was wrong with the system. So it's really important that we design ourselves around being adaptive and flexible to what our patients need and ultimately having that great relationship that gives us puts us on the same platform as our patients so that we can drive a positive and a great patient outcome moving forward. Well, it's normally at this point that I'll say, and that brings us to the end of another episode of Transformation. However, this week we have the Transformation Motivational Quote of the Week, which comes to us from episode 44 with Amanda Fisher from Connected Accountants, who I recently caught up with in Sydney and found that she's just launched her second book, Unscramble Your Numbers, in conjunction with her first book, Connected Technology, which is really, this one's about unlocking the secrets of business cash flow, which is absolutely fantastic and something that I think that we can all benefit from as well. So she's given us a link to a free chapter download, um, and I'll put that into the show notes as well. But the quote for this week is, in life, change is inevitable, and in business, Change is Vital by Warren G. Bennis, which I think coming from this episode, change is certainly something that's well and truly upon us. Digital disruption, as Anders has been talking about, and in absolute sense, change in our business is absolutely vital. So love that one. Next week, by popular request, we'll carry on with our digital and social media series with Adam Houlihan, the social media strategist and the author of Social Media Secret Source, where he will share with you just that and how you and your pharmacy can maximize your success on the right platforms, which is, of course, the absolute key. Certainly not to be missed. Leave a comment in the show notes if you've loved today's episode. There is always space for you at the bottom. I read and respond to each one, and my guests like Anders today on the show are more than happy to respond to your questions individually as well. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye for now.